I'm Michelle Meese. I work with the Hands and Feet Project in, in Haiti, the country of Haiti. But my job title is Family Advocate and Special Projects Operations. We are a children's home. We have actually have a child, two children's villages and we work within the uh, court systems of Haiti. And so the best thing that we say is that we are the best last resort for a child. And what that means is that we fight to keep children with their families. Because what we feel it's best for a child is to be to live with their families. That might be mom, dad, aunt, uncle, grandpa, grandma. But what's best for a child is to be with the family. If that can't happen, then they will come onto our sites. And what that entails is each child is put in a home that is, has a house mom. And so we try to make it as close to a family unit as possible. And uh, so I'm one of those people that go out and check on the different families, different uh, avenues with the, within the family. Um, but I also will do different things for uh, one of my main jobs is medical. I'm not a medical person. I'm a teacher by trade. I, I have a plethora of feelings in Haiti because I get to see the good, the bad, the ugly, and the great. And, you know, we are a people that we, um, we believe in God's miracles, and, but we're also a human race where we have to see it to believe it sometimes. And I have had the honor and the privilege of seeing God's hand, healing hands at work. From being a, a child that's brought to us that has less than six hours to live and have actually got to witness this child come back to life. You know, sometimes being on the mission field, you know, you feel like God is calling you to the mission field. But on the same token, sorry, I want to get teary-eyed, but on the same token, that's why I'm here. I'm watching you, God, work, and I need that. And so I do live in Haiti full-time, and uh, I've been there for a little over 15 years now. And it's, a, it's been a blessing the whole time. You know, I'm, I'm a very strong believer in prayer. And in order for me, for hands and feet, for our kids, for our staff, to be able to do their God-given potential, Prayer is very important because I could ask for a lot of things. Prayer is always free and prayer is so powerful and without it, you know, in my opinion, things can't happen. Well, right now within Haiti, there is a lot of political unrest, uh, a lot of gang violence going on. So. A big prayer needed right now is actually for the country of Haiti. I am in awe of Frazier. I feel very comfortable here, <laughs> you know, and it's just, I have yet to meet someone that has not had a smiling face and hi, how are you doing? <laughs> and it's just, uh, it's really neat to see the people. I've met a lot of people in, from Frazier that, that have come to Haiti. But to come here and really, it's like a big, it seems to be like a big family here. I am where God wants me to be right now in my life, I can tell you that. I'm really, really, really impressed and I feel like God is doing great things here. I really do.
Good morning, church. Oh, that was sad. Good morning, church. There we go. Hey, we are so glad that you guys are with us. Hey, in just a second, we're going to start uh, with a scripture before we begin singing. But before we do that, you might notice kind of a hole over here to my left. We've got about 180 of our students and volunteers who've been away this weekend at D-Now. And I just got this report back from Tyler, who's our student minister. And I just want to share what the Lord has done this weekend. It says this, it says, the Holy Spirit has showed up in ways beyond our imagining this weekend. So many students crying out to God on their knees in prayer, students giving their lives to Christ, students ready to take it a step further through baptism, and leaders intimately investing in hundreds of lives. He said this, he said, thank you all for your prayers. They have been filled and they have been answered. Can we praise God for that this morning? doing something special. I'm sure you've heard of the revival that's happening in Kentucky and it's spreading to other universities and young people, our young people are experiencing. We're praising God for that. And I believe he's going to pour something out this morning. So with that said, why don't we stand to our feet? We're going to read God's word together and then we're going to worship. I love this Psalm 84. We're going to start at verse 10. It says, a single day in your courts is in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than live the good life in the homes of the wicked. For the Lord God is our sun and our shield. He gives us grace and glory. The Lord will behold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heaven's armies, what joy for those who trust in you. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And we come today declaring that we would rather spend a day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. Lord, we thank you for your promise that you will hold nothing that is good that you wanna pour out your blessings, you wanna pour out your presence, you wanna pour out your spirit into this place, God. And so I pray for us that we would be able to receive this morning. Lord, we want you to be at the center of this gathering. Lord, that you would be the focus, that you would come and have your way in our midst, Lord. We love you, we praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said together, amen. We'll turn to somebody new around you, tell them that you're glad to see them, and then we're gonna sing in just a moment.
anybody grateful for what the Lord has been doing lately? Just this week, I've heard stories of children being healed, of things they've been struggling with for years. I've heard of anxiety being released, depression being gone just this week. The Lord is doing some mighty things. Let's give him thanks for that this morning. Come on. I could sing these songs. I've got nothing new. How could I?
Come on, prayer team. Come on up. I'll do announcements for the sermon for those of you, the tech crew. I want us to pray. It's time to pray. And what I want to pray about this morning is whatever it is that has you so anxious. I don't know what that is, but we want to partner with you and pray. So right where you're standing, if you don't mind, just go ahead and close your eyes. You know the thing that's been troubling you, weighing you down. It's heavy on your heart and mind. It's bringing confusion into your life. It's creating this anxious spirit that God doesn't want in you. Scripture tells us that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, and He wants to give peace this morning. So Holy Spirit, we ask you to come and give the peace that we're looking for, that we're desiring. Lord, would you come? Lord, would you move? Lord, would you touch? Right now is going to be your opportunity to have someone partner in prayer with you. And you may look up here and not recognize any of these people, but I tell you, they love the Lord. and They just want to get in agreement with you this morning. So whatever's weighing you down, you can come lay it down. And then walk back to your pew with peace. So Lord, would you do that? Here we are, Lord. Here we are.
Let's speak Jesus. Come on, we speak Jesus over every fear. We speak the name of Jesus over all depression. We speak the name of Jesus over every illness. Come on, declare the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you because there's power when your people come together in your presence and simply pour our hearts out. Father, we thank you for the name of Jesus, the name that is above every other name. One day, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And Lord, every, every time we get together in this sacred place, Lord, we come to declare there is no other name. There is no other name. Father, forgive us for those moments when we try to find the solutions to life's problems in other places and in other names. Lord, I thank you that every prayer that's been prayed this morning in faith, you have heard and you have already begun to move in powerful ways. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And we thank you in advance for the answers that are already on their way. Lord, we love you. We love you. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name. And everybody said, amen. amen, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now I'll get to those announcements I skipped while ago. I want to say thank you guys so much for being here this morning. Those of you in the room, those of you watching online on television, for those of you in the room, would you please give our online television audience a big hand? Thank you. As you go throughout your week, I want to encourage you to, uh, one of the things we like to do is pray for other local churches and just ask God to bless them and their ministries. And so as you go throughout your week, please pray for Melrose Heights Free Methodist Church down in Miami, Florida. As you pray, please remember them that God will continue to move in powerful ways there. Also, this Wednesday night is Ash Wednesday. It kicks off the 40 days leading up to Easter. It's a time for us to come together as a church family. Remember Uh, Not only our own sinfulness, but the goodness and grace of God. And that service will be right here in the worship center at 6 p.m. this Wednesday night. If you've never been to an Ash Wednesday service, 
It is very, very moving. I am so thankful for the season that we're entering into preparing our hearts for Resurrection Sunday that we celebrate on Easter Sunday. Also, we've had an amazing ministry going on around here in the church. It's really been the vision uh, of someone who's been serving here, who loves this place uh, more than most of us do, and that is our uh, she's over discipleship and women's ministry, and that's Susan Fisher. And Susan's here with me this morning. Would you please give her a big hand? God really gave Susan this vision for a thing called Around the Table. Would you tell us about that this morning? I'd love to. And he did give that vision, not only to me, but to several other women that are part of the women's team we just realized after COVID that we had forgotten how to connect with each other. And we were living and satisfied with a life of isolation. And that's not how God made us. He created us for relationships. And so we talked about it and we said, you know, Jesus did so much ministry around the table, lots of conversation with people from all different backgrounds. And so we said, let's do an around the table and gather women from all generations from age 20 to 90 and divide them by age group, Pastor Chris. And mm -hmm. so at every table of those 19 tables, we had every generation represented. Mm -hmm. And with that, there was just great, um, I guess, interaction. There was wisdom. There were new perspectives. Um, it was not, um, it's not about Bible study. It's really about women, women coming to the mm -hmm. table and learning about each other, feeling like they are being known, mm -hmm. but also that they know other women and they also belong. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And I love this vision that God's given you and others, as you said, and to see that come to pass. I mean, multi-generational ministry, as we say all the time around here, it's messy. It it's is. messy. Uh, but to be able to bring people from different generations together is just such a beautiful thing. And you've heard many stories about this. Why don't you share some, some things around your heart about that? I will. So through these different tables and the storytellers, we have, women have found new prayer partners. They have shared afternoons sitting in a living room with dessert, telling stories and laughing and just growing closer to each other. But there's one specific one that I really touched my heart with the generational table, and that was... Um, there was a mom that had an adult child that was really struggling with uh, sort of where they were and wanting to make some changes and just was at a loss. And so she just brought in her table and shared with them what she was experiencing. And she found acceptance. She found words of wisdom. She found insight from people that had walked there before that could really tell her about that. And um, so they text, they, they, they call, they meet, and they have just become family to each other, mm -hmm. and it's yeah. just awesome. That's beautiful. Well, thank you so much for what you do and all that the Lord's leading you in. Is there anything else you want to say to everybody around, about around the table? I would. Tomorrow's the deadline, so yeah. if you would like to come, there, we're doing a little bit different this next Sunday. You actually can come just for the day, for the event, but you also have an option to be part of a table that will meet on a recurring basis between February and May, which we, that's what these ladies have been doing. I will say we're doing it just a little bit different this time. We have uh, three women that are going to be sharing their testimonies about things that women struggle with, just a few of the things, and that is, um, and men do too, but um, control, yes. 
loneliness and then um, fear. Yeah. And so they'll be sharing their stories about that. And then you will have questions at your table to dig deeper. About that is it. awesome. Thank you so much for, number one, following the leading of the Holy Spirit and stepping up, putting all the time, energy, and effort, you and your team, into making this happen. So thank you so much, thank Susan. You. One more time, will you give her a big hand? Thank you. All right, if you have your Bible, please go to Matthew chapter 6. That's where we're going to be this morning. Matthew chapter 6. As you turn there, I want to remind you, thank you so much for your giving. Thank you for your generosity week in and week out. You can give the boxes that are in the back. You can also give online. You can text the number that's on the screen. Maybe it's on there. I'm doing all this out of order. It's fine. Or through our secure app. If you don't mind, one more time, if you would, please stand out of respect for God's word. We're going to start in verse 19, Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 and following. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and dust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we come to this text here in Matthew chapter 6, 19 and following, I think it's helpful to understand what Jesus is teaching us here by going back and looking at the context of the whole chapter. Of course, Jesus is still giving us, he's still in the Sermon on the Mount, giving us this amazing teaching in chapters 5 through 7. But in chapter 6, we see that he begins to shift his focus a little bit. And at first glance or first reading, it could look like Jesus is just bouncing around from topic to topic until he gets to this place where he starts talking about laying up treasures in heaven, the eyes of the lamp of the body, and you can't serve two masters. And again, kind of looks like he's just jumping around, but I think there's a cohesiveness to this text that's very important for, under, for us to understand. So if you go back to chapter 6, verse 1, you see that Jesus begins this section with this warning, and the warning is beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness, he says, in front of others in order to be seen by them. And he says, you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven if you do that. Now, for those of you who have been doing the daily reading in our Life Along the Way journey, you'll know that just a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 16, to let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And then we come just one chapter over, just a few verses over, and now Jesus is saying, whoa, beware. Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of others. And we say, what does that mean? Is Jesus contradicting himself in the same sermon, right? The Sermon on the Mount. Well, I don't think so. Notice what Jesus says in verse 1. When he says, beware, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. Jesus here is not talking about, not saying that it's wrong for us to live out our faith so that others can see that and give glory to God who is in heaven. He's not saying there's anything wrong with that. What Jesus is getting at is the motive behind 
why we live out our faith, the motive behind why we do what we do. And one of the questions that Jesus wants us to ask in Matthew chapter 6 in particular is the question, is the approval of the Father enough? Is the approval of God the Father enough for you? Now, as good church-going folk and Southerners, we would say, of course, of course, God's approval is the most important thing in my life. Absolutely, that's the most important thing. And yet, we find ourselves so many times in life looking for approval elsewhere. And many times this is for many different reasons, right? Sometimes it's just our impatience. Sometimes it's our insecurity, the insecurity of our heart and mind where we want to hear someone tell us, good job, well done. And instead of waiting for that day when the Father would say to us, well done, good and faithful servant, instead of waiting for that day, we like to hear well done along the way. So Jesus gives us this warning, beware, he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness in front of people in order to be seen by them. And then what Jesus does, in verse 2, 5, and 16, Jesus begins to teach on three different topics. The topics are giving, prayer, and fasting. And again, these look disconnected, but I don't think they are. In verse 2, he starts talking about giving. He says, thus, when you give to the needy, you should not trumpet, uh, have no trumpet before uh, you as hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Jesus says, when you give, don't do it in the way that where people see and people know and people hear. He says, no, here's how I want you to do it. And he goes in and he teaches us that. Don't let your uh, one hand know what the other hand is doing. And then in verse 5, he says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Jesus says, when you pray, don't do it just for show. He says, go into the secret place. Go into your prayer closet and pray there to your Father in secret. God honors that, rewards that. He says, don't keep babbling like the pagans do. And then he gives us the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And then right after the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says that little scary part there where he says, unless you are willing to forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive you. And then in verse 16, Jesus picks up the theme of fasting. Verse 16, he says, And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. And then again, he teaches there. Here's how I want you to go about fasting. So right here he says, Give, pray, and fast. But notice he uses the same language with each one. Jesus says, Jesus' language here is, When you give, when you pray, and when you fast. Notice that. He did not say, if you give, if you pray, if you fast. He says, no, when you do these things. Because giving, praying, and fasting are part of the normative way in which we live out our faith. We see that Old and New Testament all the way through and all, all the way throughout history. Now, again, I do not believe that these three topics are disconnected or isolated in and of themselves because right after Jesus gives this teaching on giving, praying, and fasting, it's as if he goes in in verses 19 through 24 and into 25, and he summarizes them, and he makes three important points. Pick it up in verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart 
will be also. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Notice that Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. The word or phrase lay up, same word as the word treasures. They have the same root word. It's where we get our English word for thesaurus, which is a treasury of words, right? What Jesus is saying is do not treasure your treasures on earth, but treasure your treasures in heaven. So the question then becomes, how do we do that? How can I make sure that I'm treasuring my treasures in heaven and not getting caught up in treasuring my treasures on earth? Well, he's already told us how. Matthew 6, verse 2. When you give. Here's how I want you to do it. When you give. Jesus is talking about treasures and laying them up in heaven in verses 19 through 21, but he's already given us the premise for it back in verses 2 through four, he says, when you give, you see, giving is the only way to kill the greed that is very much alive inside of you and inside of me. Killing the greed in us requires us to be generous and to give. And notice what Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about uh, things where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal. The things that Jesus is talking about are those things in life that can be rusted, rotten, and robbed from us. These are things that do not go into eternity with us. And so many times what we do is we treasure these treasures on earth above the treasures of heaven and we spend our lives trying to get as much of them as possible. And Jesus says, if you want to kill that greed, you've got to give them away. Give away those things that will rust. Give away those things that can rot and give away those things that can be robbed from you. This is why Paul would pick up on this same theme whenever he's writing to Timothy. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, Timothy is warned by Paul when Paul says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but have their hope in God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good. They are to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. What Jesus and both Paul teach us is that the, it's only the generous, not necessarily the wealthy, according to our definition, but only the generous who can store up for themselves treasures in heaven. It's when we're killing the greed that plagues our heart and mind so much, and it does to every one of us. And Jesus says, if you want to deal with your own greed, you want to store up, you want to treasure your treasures in heaven, you have to give. You have to be generous to other people. Now, you may be sitting here thinking, well, Chris, I, I worry about finances in the future. I worry about these things. I think about these things. Well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. All of us do. Everybody does. At one point or another, or at least at one point of the day or the other. We think about these kind of things all the time. But you know, we love to quote that verse that says, where God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, don't we? We love quoting that. It's found in Exodus. It's also found in Hebrews 13. God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Have you ever read the whole verse in Hebrews 13, verse 5, where God says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you? Here's the whole verse. Hebrews 13, 5. Keep your life free from love of money. 
And be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. One of the first things that Jesus says to us here is that you, you, can, you can treasure your treasure on earth. You can. And a whole lot of people choose to live that way. But there's another way to live. To treasure your treasure in heaven. But if you want to deal with the greed inside of you, if I want to deal with the greed inside of me, then I have to be generous and I have to give. And every time I give those things that can be rusted, rotten, and robbed from me, those earthly things that sink their claws into me so much, every time I give those things away, it's killing the greed on the inside. It's the first thing Jesus says. The second thing that Jesus says here is in verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if the eye is bad, the whole body is full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness. Jesus says, do not treasure your treasures on earth, but treasure your treasures in heaven. And how we make sure we do that is we give. We kill the greed that is in us. The second thing that Jesus says here is that, I love this principle, it is that you, be, you become what you behold. You become what you behold. Jesus says, the eye is the lamp of the body. When it's healthy, it is looking into the light. And so a question that we have to ask ourselves is, how do I make sure that I am looking into the light, that I am focused on the light in my life? Well, Jesus has already given us the answer. It's in verse 5 of chapter 6. Jesus says, do not treasure your treasures on earth, but treasure your treasures in heaven. How you do that is you make sure you give. You kill the greed within you. Then Jesus says, behold, you become what you behold. How do we make sure we do that? Jesus says in verse 5, when you pray. When you pray. Many times whenever we think about prayer, we think of prayer as request making. And then if we're really spiritual, we say that prayer is about making requests and God may or may not answer my request depending on his wisdom and his will. If we want to make it sound really spiritual. But at its foundation, most of the times when we think about prayer, we think about making a request. But we have to remember that prayer at its core, especially at the beginning, prayer at its core is about beholding the beauty and the majesty and the splendor and the glory of the one who sits on the throne. That's the core of prayer. You see, when Jesus teaches his followers on prayer in Matthew chapter 6, it starts with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Hallowed be your name. One of the things we have to ask ourselves is that in our prayers, is God's name hallowed? Is he set apart as holy? That's why we need to open the scriptures and go back to places like Psalm 111. It says, praise the Lord. I give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart, because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, in the company of the upright and in the congregation, that we just gather to praise the Lord, the psalmist says. Verse 2, great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hand are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. That's what it sounds like to behold him. Not just ask things of him, but to behold who he is. And Jesus here uses this image where he says the eye, oh, it's the lamp of the whole body. The question is, is it full of light? And the truth is, is that Jesus is the purest light. He's the one that came and said, I am the light of the world. John picks up on this theme in John 1, 9. It says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world, John says, John 1, 9. John also picks up on that theme, 1 John 1, 5. He says, the message we have heard that we declare to you is that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. This is why you hear Paul praying in Ephesians 1.18 that the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened that they may know him. You become what you behold. What you gaze upon, what you look upon, what you continue to deposit into your soul through your eyes, that's what you become. That's why 2 Corinthians 4.6, I love it. It's where the God who said, let there be light, he has shown his light to us and given us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You become what you behold. Jesus says, when you pray, this will happen. You will become like that which you behold and what you behold determines and solidifies your identity. And here's the truth. We struggle with darkness to the degree that we behold darkness, but there is a light that can shine in the darkness. And we have to believe it and we have to behold it so that we may become it. Jesus says, do not treasure your treasures on earth, but treasure your treasures in heaven. You do that by giving, killing the greed in your life. Jesus says, you become what you behold. So pray. When you pray, continue to gaze into the one who is pure and perfect in every single way. The one who is the true light of the world. Then the third thing Jesus taught. Verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money, Jesus says. Jesus says, don't treasure your treasures on earth. Treasure your treasures in heaven, so give. You become what you behold, so pray. And the third thing Jesus says is that you serve what you believe saves you every time. You serve what you believe saves you. And notice, he says, it's absolutely impossible to serve two masters at one time. Impossible. You can't do it. You will always serve just one, Jesus says, every time. And so the question is, how do I make sure? I'm constantly reminding myself that God is my Savior. There's nothing in this world that can save me. I cannot save myself. How do I remind myself of that? Jesus has told us. Don't treasure your treasures on earth. Treasure them in heaven. Give. You become what you behold. Pray. You serve what you believe saves you. Fast. Fast. That word we all love. We like to go fast, we just don't like to do it. <laughs> Fasting is an intentional denial of a good earthly pleasure that helps you gain and keep a heavenly perspective. Let me say that again. 
Fasting is an intentional denial of a good earthly pleasure that helps you gain and keep a heavenly perspective. You know, Jesus said here, you cannot serve God and money. Some of your translations say mammon, right? It's because it's a very interesting word in Greek. The mammon or the money speaks to what the material world can give you. What the material world can give you. And here's where fasting comes in. Because fasting is a disruption of our physical routine, isn't it? You think about it, we mark a day by how we eat meals, right? We mark holidays by how we eat meals and even what kinds of meals that we normally eat, right? And what fasting does is it, it disrupts that physical routine that we have, and it does so in order to create pockets of silence. Because whenever we're eating, what we're hearing is the chewing of the food in our mouth and the other voices of people around us, especially when we eat with others. And what fasting does is it creates these moments, these pockets of silence in us so that we can reorient our heart back to God. And the truth is what we do not like about fasting has very little to do with the absence of food. Because in our culture, we know that if I miss one meal, I can what? Just make it up the next time, right? What scares us about fasting is not the absence of food. What scares us about fasting is about how loud the silence is when we're doing it. How loud the silence is before the Savior. And what Jesus says is, I want you to fast. Because when you fast, when you're reorienting your heart back to who God is, you're entering into that extreme silence so that you can see and savor the Savior in that moment. Because you're only going to serve one master. The question is, who is it going to be? And if we're going to serve God, we have to constantly reorient our heart back to him. We do that by the means of fasting. So Jesus says, don't treasure your treasures on earth. Treasure the ones in heaven. So make sure you give. Kill the greed. Jesus says, you become what you behold. So pray. Continue to gaze upon the beauty of God. Jesus says, you will serve what you believe saves you. So fast. Drag your soul, reorient your heart back to who God is in your life, especially in that extreme silence of fasting so that you see him and serve him only. And so my question at the beginning is still here. And the question is, is God enough for you? Is God enough? Is the approval of God really what you live for? Let me ask the question another way. Let me ask it this way. How is your anxiety? How is your anxiety? You see, Jesus, after teaching on giving, praying, and fasting, they're not disconnected. They all connect to our treasures, the light that we behold the master that we serve. After Jesus teaches us this right here in this section of Scripture, verse 25 says, therefore, meaning because I just told you all this, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. Therefore, you don't have to be anxious about your life. You see, the spirit of this age is a, I called it a cruel mistress that runs on the currency of anxiety. It's everywhere. Everywhere. 
There's not a person or a family here that has not been affected by anxiety in some way. And the anxiety that I'm speaking about, the anxiety that you've experienced in your life, my friends, that is not from God. can't be. Because that kind of anxiety does not exist in heaven. So how could it be from him? And the question we have to ask ourselves is, is God really enough? Is God really enough? Or has the spirit of mammon, of what this world can give me, has the spirit of mammon, which is always wanting more, more of things that I cannot gain, more of things that I cannot grasp, more of things I cannot attain, always wanting more, has that taken hold of us? Or is God enough? Is God enough? Will you kill your greed by giving so that you can treasure him above all else? Will you turn from the darkness so that you can behold the light in the face of Christ? Will you deny yourself through fasting so that you can stop trying to save yourself by yourself and serve him as the one true master? Will you? This is a question you and I wake up every morning and start answering with how we think and how we live. And that's our question this morning. Who will you treasure? Who will you behold? Who will you serve? And only you can answer that. And here's the thing, my friend. You will answer that question. You will. And this afternoon, you're going to have a glorious opportunity to do that. Tonight, you're going to lay your head down on your pillow. You're going to wake up in the morning. You're going to have a glorious opportunity to do that. And my prayer is that you would live each day knowing, feeling, believing that he is enough. Amen? So, Lord, I pray for us right now. As we start putting our notes in our Bible and getting our stuff ready to walk out the door today, sing this last song that Jared may sing forever or may not. As we listen to our stomach rumbling because we're ready for lunch, as we're doing all these things that we as human beings do, Lord, I pray that we would see that there's a fundamental question that we will give an answer to. And that is, are you enough? Lord, I pray that we would see that you are enough. You're enough right now. You're enough in our pain. You're enough in all the things that we walk through. You're enough. So Lord, I pray you would give us a heart that would want you above anything else. Because in you alone is there all we could ever 
want, desire, or need. We love you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, church, let's stand as we sing this together.
I've heard a saying before, and it's that if the devil can't make you bad, he'll make you busy. He'll, he'll make you anxious. He'll make you worried. He'll make those eyes go from admiring and gazing into the eyes of Jesus to worrying about the wind and the waves and the struggles and the stripes. And that's not what we want for you. We want you to lift your eyes once again and meet the gracious and forgiving and loving eyes of our Savior. There's a verse that means a lot to me. I repeat it often in my own life, and it is, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to the Lord. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so if, if you have a heart of anxiety, if there are worries that are tugging those eyes down and getting you concerned about the winds and the waves, we'd love to join you in prayer, to pray with you, to pray for you, to pray over you. We've got volunteers um, at the stained glass windows. And if there's none, I'll just join you over there. Um, but I will, I will leave you with this prayer, with this benediction as we go out into our weeks, as we seek to be the light of the world. Um, if you will bow your heads. It is finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about those things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Go in peace.